So tonight's reading is from Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a pew Bible, you can find that on page 1670. We're going to be reading from verses 10 to 17, and you can also follow along on the screen behind me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Good evening. How are you all? That's good. I'm glad to hear. Friends, I want you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to be looking, as you have just heard, at Ephesians 6. And I'm going to pray for us that God might help us to understand his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you that in it we find so much that is practical for today and for tomorrow and for the week ahead of us. And Father, we pray tonight that we might hear what your good word has for us so that we might press on following your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, we ask that you might speak and be at work in our hearts, helping us to hear you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we were first married, uh, Emma and I decided to go away for our very first camping trip together. Uh, I talked her into it, and so we headed down to Coonabarabran, which is, if you don't know where it is, it's kind of central western New South Wales. It was mid-July, and we had packed what I thought were warm clothes, but I come from Queensland, right? Uh, and so, boy, was I in for a bit of a shock. I even packed a zero-rated sleeping bag, thinking that that might be enough I realised I might have been in trouble when, as dusk kind of hit us, I was trying to light the gas stove to boil some tea, and I realised I couldn't move my fingers. And they were that cold. Um, that night, it got down to minus 12. I have, apparently, it was a really, really bitterly cold night. I have never experienced cold like that before and never since. We were meant to spend three days camping but we spent the next night, I can tell you, in a hotel that had electric blankets. <laughs> Having the right equipment is always a good idea, isn't it? Whether you're doing DIY or you're camping, or even if you're going to war, it pays to have the right kit, the right gear, the right equipment. Paul ends this letter to the Ephesians by telling them to put on the armour of God, and this is the right gear, the right equipment to face life, to actually just live as a Christian. 
Um, anyone here who's been living as a Christian for a little bit knows that there are times in the Christian life where it's tough, where there are disappointments and challenges and struggles. And so Paul here, as he ends his letter, he wants his readers to know the resources that God gives them so that they can face the next day, so that they can keep on standing. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days where I really need to hear this, I've got to tell you. Uh, Now, one wrong way, I think, to think of this text or to think about what it's telling us is that when Paul says, put on the armour of God, he's about to tell us a bunch of techniques that we're meant to do so that we're prepared for life. No, this isn't about some methods that Paul's going to give us for keeping on going as a Christian. Actually, Paul says to us, this is about God and his gracious gift of his might and power so that you and I can press on. Have a look at verse 10 with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And as Paul says that in chapter 6, verse 10... He's picking up a theme that has been running right through the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1 and in chapter 3, Paul has prayed twice that his readers might come to know in a deep and profound way God's great power. And in both those times, he basically said to the Ephesians, if only you knew, if only you knew the power that God offers. Um, As Paul goes to talk on uh, here about the armour of God and putting on the whole armour of God, he's talking about uh, using all of the things that God in his great might and power gives to us as his people so that we might withstand whatever life throws at us. Now, what I'm going to do just as we work our way through the text is first I'm going to look at why we need this armour and then we're going to look at what the armour is and we'll work our way through the list of armour that you saw in the passage. First, though, why do we need it? Why does Paul end his letter to the Ephesians by talking about this armour that you and I need to be dressed in? Well, Paul says you need to be dressed in the right gear, the right equipment, because we're at war. See verse 11. Put on the whole armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, whether you realise this or not, there is a battle that is taking place even now. A spiritual battle. Uh, Paul can say that in verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, You and I live in the middle of this kind of spiritual war. Um, On the cross, Jesus defeated evil. We're told it was a decisive victory. Satan was defeated. His power over us was broken. So much so that Paul could say in his letter to the Colossians that Jesus has triumphed over evil on the cross. He's he's made a public spectacle of them. The victory's been won. However, We live in this kind of now and not yet time where Jesus' victory has begun. It is here now, but we don't yet see it in all its fullness. And so that means that we live in this, well, this time where there's the mopping up operations, right? The victory, the decisive battle has been won, but there's these mopping up operations that are still taking place. And that plays out in our everyday lives in this daily spiritual fight that you and I have 
against sin, the flesh, and the devil. And Paul says that's the real fight. Now, Paul was living in the Roman Empire. He was living under the tyrannical power of Rome. He was actually in prison as he's writing this letter. But he doesn't say to the Ephesian Christians, hey, uh, Christians everywhere, um, take up your swords against the political forces of evil arrayed against the Christian church. Do you notice he doesn't do that? Actually, what he says is, our fight, the real fight, is spiritual. It's not primarily political or, or fiscal or psychological or sociological. Our fight isn't against the, the rising forces of secularism. Our fight is spiritual. It is primarily against the spiritual forces that are at work in our world. And how do these evil forces fight? Well, Paul says they fight dirty. Uh, you'll notice he says there in verse 11 that we need to put on the full armour of God so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. The evil of the evil one is not always obvious. He's um, cunning, he's conniving, he's scheming. Um, it's not as though the devil comes announcing, oh, by the way, everyone, this is me. Uh, you can tell it's me because people's heads are turning around on top of their bodies. No, 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 no. The devil is much more subtle. Now, while I was preparing to write this sermon, a friend who comes from a, a different church tradition, he said to me, oh, you're preaching on Ephesians 6, um, spiritual warfare, hey? I didn't think that Presbyterians were into that, suggesting that we, we really don't do spooky and demons and exorcisms and the like. We're a little bit too straight-laced for all of that. I, I've got to actually say, in part, I think he's right. Um, I think we Presbyterians can demystify the world that we're in and actually take the spiritual out of it and we can tend to see our sin and the constant temptation that we have to do wrong and our battle with it as merely being a personality flaw or we can see the constant struggle that it is to press on following Jesus as being well nothing more than the pressure of living in a secular Australia but Paul says here it is more than that. It's also part of this spiritual battle. Now, having said all that and conceded all of that to my friend, let me just say I think there is, it's also possible to overplay it and to look for the devil in the spectacular and the unusual as signs of the devil's work. And as we've just heard, no, the devil is too clever for that. His schemes are all, well, they're all very ho-hum and ordinary. I'll give you an example. Um, I knew a guy called Tony. He was involved at one of the churches we were at. Uh, he was involved in music at church, but he was starting to go places at work. He was getting ahead in his career. It just meant that he would have to miss church. Uh, one thing led to the next, and the last I've heard, Tony doesn't follow Jesus anymore. Another lady that we knew... Uh, Margaret was involved at church until the church committee that she was on made a decision she didn't like and I've got to be honest with you, I actually think they handled themselves in a pretty poor way, that church committee. They were rude. Margaret was so wounded, she didn't want anything to do with Christians or with church or with Jesus anymore. Now, doesn't that seem to you and me very human and very ordinary? Doesn't it? 
but it is as well part of the spiritual fight we're in. Friends, um, you and I are in a spiritual battle. And so, second point, because we're in a fight, you need to put on the full armour of God. Paul says that in verse 11, and then again in verse 13, put on the armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. And then in verses 14 to 17, he lists out the armour of God that you need to wear. Now, before we jump into the list, we are going to work our way through the list, okay? So just preparing you for that. Before we jump into the list, I want to just note a couple of things about the armour of God. First, it is all that you need to face the battle. And see, verse 13 can say that it's when we have this armour that we can withstand the, the attacks of the evil one. It, it is not as though God has dropped us into battle and he said, well, best of luck with that. No, he's actually given us all these means for our protection, for defending ourselves. He's given us what we need to face life. Um, do you know that scene in every James Bond movie where James Bond meets Q? Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Q, the gadgets guy who gives James Bond this kind of outrageous equipment. So, you know, here's a... Well, I've got one here. Here's a pen with a, that shoots tranquilizer darts. Now, however outrageous the gadget is, there is a moment a little later in the Bond film where there's a situation where he needs, in that moment, a pen that shoots tranquilizer darts. Have you ever noticed that? Every film without fail. When God gives us his armour, these are all the tools that we're going to need to face the battle before us. This is what you need. Second, the second thing to note about this armour, um, it's hand-me-down armour. This armour actually belongs first and foremost to Jesus. Now, you might not be aware of this, uh, right through this list of the armour of God, Paul is actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah. I don't know if you knew this. Each piece of armour here that is actually already mentioned in the prophet Isaiah as armour that's worn by Yahweh, by God, or by his Messiah. For example, in Isaiah 11, the Messiah wears righteousness girded around his waist and truth around his ribs. Sound familiar? In Isaiah 59, it says that he puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. In Isaiah 52, speaking about the salvation that God is going to bring his people, he says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. You're getting the idea? All of this armour belongs to someone else. It belongs first to Jesus. And, and this armour is ours because we're united to him. We stand in the armour that belongs to Christ, that he shares with us. And again, I think this is important because, again, it tells us that we face life not relying on our own resources. No, we stand our ground in what Christ has already won for us, using what Christ has provided for us in his gospel. Now, with all of those things in mind, let's work our way through the list, all right? This would be a really great time to have the Bible open in front of you as we work our way through all of, all of that armour. First point, 
Verse 14, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. All right, put on the belt of truth. For a Roman soldier, the belt was this part of your soldiering gear that kept your, your garments tied up and out of the way. If you had your belt on, you were ready for action. The thing that you need for tomorrow to keep on living the Christian life is to have the truth. And what truth is Paul talking about? Well, back in Ephesians 1, we're told about the truth that is in Jesus. Paul could say this in chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That gospel truth is the truth that we need. And I think this is really fitting because you remember that the devil is the father of lies. He, his MO is to deceive and to take us away from the truth. So Paul says here, buckle up. Put on the belt of truth. Um, now, I don't know how many of you, uh, your generation, uh, can remember the film or have seen the film Memento. Does anyone? There's like three ex-gens who've seen this film. That's good. Uh, in the film Memento, the, the main character in this is Guy Pearce, and he cannot form memories, all right? So he kind of goes through the movie uh, to keep track of what's going on in his life. He keeps taking pictures, Polaroid photographs, and he writes down on them what is true and what is not. And if you've seen the film, you'll know ultimately he's deceived because he loses track of what's true. He doesn't have a grasp on what's true anymore. Put on the belt of truth. Wear it. Remind yourself of it. That's what you need to be ready to face life. Next, have the breastplate of righteousness in place. Um, now, what Paul is talking about here is uh, living with righteousness, uh, living the righteous life, if you, as a follower of Jesus, live the righteous life, that is protective. And I've got to say, from my experience, I think that's true. I know people for whom uh, their journey away from the Lord Jesus, it wasn't primarily intellectual, but it was moral. They gave up on the righteousness that marks out God's people. Paul says here, put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, friends, please don't misunderstand me. When it talks here about living the righteous life and having righteousness, remember where our armour comes from. We have armour that is given to us by God and the source of our righteousness is God's power at work in us to bring about his righteousness, yes? So you need the breastplate of righteousness. Third, verse 15, you need a new pair of shoes. You need to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And here... Paul is saying, be ready for action. Ready, I think, to talk about the gospel. Ready to go with the gospel. Ready to speak it. If you glance down to verse 19, you'll see that Paul is, is asked them to pray for him that he might be able to speak the gospel, even though he's in chains. Paul longs to speak about the gospel of the Lord Jesus whenever he opens his mouth. And I think what he's talking about here, by having your feet uh, with the readiness that comes from wearing the gospel of peace, he's talking about being ready to share it. Um, 
I think one of the biggest moments where we realise that we are in a spiritual battle is when we come to that moment where we speak to our friends or family about Jesus. Have you actually ever noticed how hard it is to do that? It's good here to be reminded that God equips us for that struggle. He gives us his gospel of peace so that we are prepared to speak of him. Keep coming with me. Next, you need the shield of faith. Faith will defend you. It says there in verse 16 that the shield of faith can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Uh, now, if you have in your mind, when you think of a shield, uh, Captain America's Frisbee shield, I don't think that verse will make a lot of sense. But back in Roman times, one of the tactics that the enemies of the Romans would use is that they would shoot arrows that were dipped in tar and set alight. And the idea was that they would hit a wooden shield, they would stick to it and set it on fire, right? So to counter that, the Romans put leather over their wooden shields and they soaked them in water before the battle so that the flaming arrows of their enemies were extinguished. That's the image, that's the picture here. And Paul says like that, our best defence against the attacks of the evil one is, is faith. That is your shield. Um, now, please don't get me wrong here. I don't think that this means that when the evil one does attack us, what we need to do is go, um, oh, okay, I need faith. Um, I've got to have more faith. If I'm going to resist the attack of the evil one, I need to make sure that I have faith. Actually, I'm feeling a little bit low on faith at the moment. That's going to be a bit of a problem for me. No, don't do that. Don't look inward. What is faith? Faith is reliance on the God who is powerful. You see, friends, um, it is not the strength of our faith that matters here. It's who our faith is in. And relying on our mighty God is the shield that protects you. I think that is also true of the next bit of equipment, the helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation protects you from the attacks of the devil as you remember that salvation is yours already. As you do that, you are protected because you remember that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God because you are before God righteous and blameless because you have already been saved. Because you have, what can the devil do to you? What accusation can he possibly bring against you? Now, finally, well done, by the way, for coming with me. Good job. Last one on the list. Not just armour, an offensive weapon. Verse 17, Paul says that we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We use God's Word to clear away all the falsehood of the world. I mean, friends, so often we can be bogged down with the values of the world and all that it loves and all that it hates and all that it wants, and we need something that actually can help us break that down and something that can pierce the undergrowth, and that is the mighty power of God's Word. Do you actually think God's Word is powerful? I actually wonder sometimes, if we get so used to reading the Bible, it's right here in the middle of our services, or, or maybe you personally, you read the Bible through the week, or you try to, and you actually can start to forget the kind of power that it has. 
that it is this powerful weapon. Um, recently, I've been reading the Bible with this uh, young guy that I know, and uh, it has been wonderful just to watch as the Bible has done its powerful work. The eyes of his heart have been opened. He's come to know the Lord Jesus. I love moments like that because I'm reminded, wow, God's word really, it really is powerful. Um, next year, uh, we're hoping to keep on seeing our city reach with the good news of Jesus and we're hoping to keep on running Simply Christianity, but we're also going to be training people in something really mind-blowingly simple but powerful. We're actually going to be training people next year in how to read the Bible with someone. What a killer strategy. Because God's Word is a mighty weapon. Now, friends, there it is. There's the armour that God gives his people to face life. I, I hope that is an encouragement to you this week. But here's something I want you to remember just as we leave tonight. As we conclude, I want to remind you that all this armour, as I said before, it's hand-me-down armour. Every piece of this armour belonged first to the Lord Jesus. And it comes to us not new and shiny, but all worn and scuffed up. Um, actually, this hand-me-down armour is given to us bloodstained, isn't it? Because our Lord Jesus has already gone into battle for us and he has defeated evil through his death. He's faced down the evil one. And Jesus, who is the truth, he has secured our righteousness. He gave himself to win our salvation. So here's the good news. We can take his armour and stand to face whatever comes, not in our own power, but dressed in the armour that comes from Jesus himself. Paul says, put it on. Put on that armour. I'm going to pray for us that we would. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do confess to you that so often, uh, Father, we are caught up and we are, are, are confused and befuddled by the evil one. But Father, we thank you and praise you that you in your goodness and your power, you give us so much so that we might keep on pressing on for you. Father, we ask and pray tonight that each one of us would know your power, the, the armour that you offer us, and Father, we pray that we would put it on. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.